Miracy. I think for people who are, they've kind of heard this general guidance of like, oh yeah, like you need to niche down or like your course needs to be focused, but you're not sure what that looks like. This is a really good example of what that looks like in practice. Hello and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hi, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Today, we're happy to have John Bowen on the show. John is a coach for financial advisors, and he's the founder and CEO of CEG Worldwide. John, welcome. Well, Danny, thank you, and Abe as well. It's uh, great to be with you and uh, see all the success that both of you are having. Thank you. We're we're excited to have you on. So start at just the 30,000-foot picture. Tell us, who are you and what do you do and how did you come to be doing it? I was a financial advisor for 26 years. Happened to be at the right place at the right time in Silicon Valley and built one of the first advisory firms with a couple billion under management. We were the largest advisor at Schwab with the two billion custody there. And uh, not surprisingly, you had a whole bunch of people offering as wealth management became a bigger part of the industry. We had tremendous offers to sell our practice. So we sold. And, uh, but I always felt like I was in an entrepreneurial fog the whole time. And you know, there is no shortage of research and thought process on the investment side. But you know, why should 400,000 advisors here in the U.S. have to try to invent this all on their own? And uh, so we started out on a journey. And in the last 20 years, we've been working really hard, creating a lot of value for our financial advisors. So tell us about the major milestones on that journey. How did this general kind of vague idea of financial advisors shouldn't have to figure this all out on their own, how did that lead to both the work that you're doing today and also specifically to the online courses that you run to deliver that transformation today? When I started the company, it was the end of 2000. It was just before the internet bubble. And we did some research and I started selling research on the affluent different segments and studies of the advisors. And it was the first 60 days I sold $500,000. And then all of a sudden the calls started coming in uh, and people, advisors were complaining that they couldn't execute on it. And then, you know, I mean, literally it was almost, we'd ask them, did they open up the box? And, you know, cause it wasn't internet delivery. Then it was uh, CDs and DVDs. And uh, no, but I, I don't, you know, I don't get this and I'd like to talk to somebody. And it evolved into the research was going really well, but we said, well, why don't we do a proof of concept and start a coaching program? And we took 20 people, had them go in a year long program, made it kind of a Tony Robbins type thing where quarterly three day uh, workshops from nine to 9 p.m., you know, huge amount of research and so on. I, Still think I owe apologies to those people that went to the first year, but uh, they grew by 58%, their net asset growth. And that's huge in our industry. And it was like, wow. You know, and all of a sudden I saw that not only did I, I've always had a full appreciation of fellow entrepreneurs and, you know, I want to work with entrepreneurs that can make a difference. And it really took off from there. Tell us a little more about the research that you do. Like, what is the deliverable? What goes into creating it? How much 
of your business is that? Like, is that what people come for and then they stay for the training and coaching or is it all integrated? How does that work? It's very integrated. You know, 20 years, I was an advisor. I mean, the world's changed just a tiny bit politically, economically, and socially since then. And so by doing the empirical research and really understanding what the affluent clients want, I mean, I'll give two kind of examples, recent things that we did. You know, we're studying, you know, the expectations um, right now with everything going on in the world. And, you know, it just, I mean, with the elections, the inflation, the social unrest and so on, and the, and the markets, you know, increased volatility, people are concerned and they're not hearing from their advisors. And when they hear from their advisors, many of the more affluent people, when we, we really study a million and above all the way up to the family office side, about a third are hearing from their advisors. And of that third, two thirds are open to switching the assets they have at other firms to the advisors. Okay, that's huge. Creating that empirical research is really high. We had a subset. Normally, people aren't quick to switch. You know, the normal is about 4%. Well, we're seeing that people that have over $10 million of investable assets today, 22% are open to switching. They're actually not only open, they're actively looking to switch. Wow. John, how does the research actually get done? I mean, like, how do you know who you're reaching out to? And are these, like, do you have phone banks calling them? Is it emails? How large are your sample sizes? Like, I, I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who's listening to this and is like, wow, this is a great way to A, create a substantial competitive advantage and B, make your offer much more impactful and transformative. But it sounds daunting to get your head around what it would entail. And so what is the scope of how it is for you now? And, and is that different from when you first started? Like what was the minimum viable for you to get going? One of the things I wanted to understand was the best practices of top financial advisors and the ability to survey a, any community. Isn't that hard if you find out where they're hanging out? So typically, uh, you'll either do it through media partners, what are the largest professional journals, trade journals, that type of thing. And the reason why I can say this with confidence, we've done it you know, every year, you know, usually a couple of studies on financial advisors, uh, but we also do it um, every few years on accountants, attorneys, other strategic partners. So studying there, people... You know, you have to provide a reason for them to do it, and they have to have confidence in you. If you're certainly, if you're a new coach uh, looking at this, I would see if you could partner with one of the trade publications that doesn't have a research arm. Most of them don't in the trades. The uh, you know the Forbes, the Fortune, the Bloomberg, they all have their Forbes Insight and so on. Those kind of publications are going to have it, and they're not going to be interested in doing it. But the trade press will, and it's, so it's pretty easy to study professionals. And you know, uh, the way you get started is you'll hire some academics to work with you to help on the questions. You don't want to just play back the answers. You want to be able to do some cluster analysis. You know, I, I did take three years of statistics, and that gave me enough in college that I hire people to do all this stuff type thing. And, uh, and that part's not that hard. I mean, it's still work, but then, and you always want to be asking questions, you know, what are you most interested in? You're by working in the market, you understand that 
the affluent is expensive and it's hard to do. And we would do that sometimes with media partners. More often now we're doing it with panels. You know, we'll, we're paying for access to panels rather than mm -hmm. our own because of the different cross sections that we want. It's fairly expensive to do. In the old days, uh, when I first got started, you could actually mail, you could do phone. And we used to do telephone. We would hire telephone banks to do it for us. You know, for some reason, people aren't responding to surveys like they once were. And, uh, you know, the combination of not having landlines, cell, cell service, and then we've been all surveyed to death type thing that there has to be a group that really likes participating in this. And we're able to get access at that by writing checks <laughs> type thing. And talk a little bit about sample sizes, like in order for the data to be useful. I mean, how many people do you need to answer in your survey? Typically, you know, it's going to depend on what you're sampling for and so on. But usually, always, you want any study to be over a couple hundred. You know, when we're doing family offices, uh, you know, that getting 200 is really an effort. I mean, the last book we published and some things that we did there was 199. <laughs> we stopped at it. It was just, but, and then, you know, when there's a larger group available, usually around 500 and there's, you know, different things to do to, you know, for statistical significance, if you're a research, but you know, those are good rules of thumb. Awesome. Give us, I guess, a deeper dive into what is your approach to your course design or program design? And are there unique aspects of that that you'd like to highlight for people? There are certain things that need to be done. So there are three key areas for us that we focus on clarity of intent, the world-class client experience, and the wealthy client pipeline. And so we call those our, those are the three levers. And then we have nine accelerators. And the coaching program, and really all our programs are designed around that structure that we're going to have the educational material. And it, we're using multiple modalities. So we'll have a, a portal that will have each of the material for each of these nine areas, whether we're talking about this program or building, for example, a, we have a program called the Dream Team Solution, where so many of these advisors were accidental CEOs and they need to you know, bring on, they're having a lot of success. Well, as you're having success, you're attracting a lot of clients. Well, you have to have people help you <laughs> to actually do this. And some are building national firms, others are building lifestyle boutiques. But we use that same framework over and over again. And that's been really helpful for all our class design, our coaches. We have multiple coaches working with our organization. So we're able to get them up to speed very quickly. I guess, can you talk more about that? Like, what are the challenges that you see people having in terms of learning you're implementing? And, and how does your coaching address that? Yeah, I think we have a hierarchy we talk about, and we really don't serve, for the most part, entry-level advisors. And it was important. You just can't be all things to everyone. And it's not egotistical, but we just couldn't do everything. So we said, it really, we're four people that are already making over 200000 a year in our industry. You know, that means that they've got some systems and processes. And if they're in the two hundred to 350000 range, we call them emerging. They have certain, there's three drivers in our industry, assets under management, the type of clients you're working with, and what we call significance. That level, for the most part, you have a job. There's a significance in 
what we find, this is the vast majority of our industry, and they are really struggling to break through a ceiling of kind of no clear path. And this is where the coaching opportunity is the highest for that group. And so we then, we show them how to get to the next level if they're in that one. And the next level we call the experimenters. And here at that level, once they start doing that, they're providing, you know, their five key drivers of in our research that the clients want to see the advice. Uh, they're making three hundred fifty to 500000 a year. Then you know, we're always showing how can you go up this, what we call hierarchy of advisor success. So our programs are built around this. The next level is a rainmaker making a half a million to a million a year. And they're, they're not only you know, doing the great investments, they're not only doing the great client experience advice beyond simply investing, but they're also doing the referrals really well. So it, kind of going back is, you know, you, if I were... If I were going to do this all over again, one of the things I would do is you know, people want to know what the outcome is going to be that you're going to get from working with you. And we're very, very, very clear that we're going to help them raise up this hierarchy of advisory success that I'm describing. And that it's not only the money part, but they're going to have this amazing life of significance. And we define it as taking care of the people you love, causes you care about, make a difference in the world. But the beauty of this is that we show them how to do that for their clients. And, you know, we're all entrepreneurs here. Capitalism does work in the sense that the more value you can create for others, the more successful you're going to be. And that's, that's really all our models are around that in everything we do. Anything else you wanted to dig into, Danny? Uh, not for me. I thought that was fascinating. I, uh, I've got a lot of notes that I'm excited to dig into. Awesome. John, thank you. John Bone is the CEO and founder of CEG Worldwide. To learn more about him and the programs discussed in today's episode, head on over to cegworldwide.com. That's cegworldwide.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. Abe, what jumped out to you? I guess the first takeaway for me was around clarity of focus and clarity of outcome. It's definitely something you know we talk about and we guide people to okay, you need to, you know, narrow down who your course is for and make sure it's not too broad. And then you need to identify, you know, what the outcomes or transformation is going to be. But sometimes I think people may not really have a picture of what that actually looks like. I think this is a a good example of having a, a, you know, real clarity on who you are serving and what are the outcomes that you provide for them. This is a really clear, you know, specific type of, business that John is trying to help. It's not for any financial advisors. It's a specific group of financial advisors with certain criteria. And there's outcomes that are really clear, right? It's helping you grow your practice. It's helping you serve your clients more effectively. And it's helping you earn more money. So I think for people who are, they've kind of heard this general guidance of like, oh yeah, like you need to niche down or like your course needs to be focused, but you're not sure what that looks like. This is a really good example of what that looks like in practice. Well, and to that point, there's an intentionality to making that choice because the the segment that they've chosen to focus on, John, in his business, you know, we're talking about highly successful, highly affluent 
financial advisors, you know, the floor, the minimum is that they're bringing home $200,000 a year. The vast majority of financial advisors are not doing that, right? So he's explicitly decided, I'm not going after, I'm not accepting most of this market. And that's a scary thing for an entrepreneur to do often, right? Say, you know, that's not who I'm doing this for. And there's also kind of, it cuts both ways because there's always the fantasy of like, well, if I can go after the most wealthy, affluent, committed, dedicated possible customer, well, that makes my business super easy. And if you can successfully go after them, well, you're right. You know, it's great to go after a customer base that has lots of money that they're eager to spend on getting the outcomes. But the more well-heeled the target customer is, generally the harder it is to cater to them, the more discerning they're likely to be, right? You know, because they could take their money elsewhere. And that's where the work and conversation around the research was really interesting. And there was an interesting nuance there, right? Sometimes companies will say, well, I'll do some market research of my market segment, right? So that, you know, I can tell people, well, come learn what your peers are doing. And there's a value to that. But the nuance here is that he wasn't doing the research primarily about the peers, but about the customers. Here's what your customers want to know. Right. So it's essentially research that directly informs the doing of the work that they're looking to do, the getting of the outcomes they're looking to do. And of course, it takes some elbow grease and some legwork. And, you know, that's either money that you spend for other people to do it or you just doing a bunch of work yourself. But, you know, when we're talking about a couple hundred survey responses, that's not a prohibitive amount of work if you're thoughtful and strategic about what you want to ask and why it's going to be valuable in your business. Um, it, it's a really interesting strategy to think of that drives a lot of the, I'll say it drives a significant portion of the actual value they deliver, but a much larger perceived portion of the value they deliver, which is really interesting for, I think, a lot of our listeners to think about. Yeah. It's not just the insights from the research, but also the credibility it gives you. And it's a moat because it's a lot of work to do the research but it seems like a lot more work <laughs> to do the research. So it's very daunting. It's like other people are like, ah, I just don't want to go there. I don't want to touch it. And so you have this moat that protects you in your industry where, you know, well, we're the only ones who've done this research. You have this knowledge. You have this insight. Yeah. Uh, that's all I had. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've got as well. I thought it was really interesting. Do you want to read us out? Yep. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Just Between Coaches and Making It. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Gufferson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer, post-production by Post Office Sound. Another thanks to John Bowen for joining us today. Remember, you can learn more about him over at cegworldwide.com. And to make sure you don't miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Did you enjoy today's show? Well, go ahead and leave us a starred review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, 
the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great framing. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively and we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.